Karma Automotive, Forbes Magazine's most anticipated luxury electric vehicle. Karma Automotive is a luxury EV brand designed and manufactured in California. Proud sponsor and official luxury vehicle of the Las Vegas Raiders. Charge the motion beyond EV. Karma Automotive. The game is over, but we're just getting started. You're listening to the fifth quarter presented by Twitch on the Raiders podcast network. Well, Raider Nation, we have a win to talk about. The first win of 2022. Eddie Pascal hanging out in the fifth quarter with my man, Jason Fitz from ESPN. And Fitz, we were talking about it. 1-0 when Mr. Fitz is in the building in 2022. That ain't too bad. I, mean, I feel like that's a sign uh, from God that I yes. need to come back every single week. Uh, well, every single home game, at least. I mean, it's a little aggressive to travel to the away games, too. But you never know. At I, this point, we'll take whatever mojo we can get. I mean, uh, you're not. I'm not, uh, not going to say no to that. But I think there is a couple of things that, right out of the gate with this. Let's remind everybody that this is now a 1-3 football team. We know that's not where anybody thought they would be. This is a one in three football team that in the first three weeks has had the ball in the hands of their very expensive offense every single week with the opportunity to win or tie and hasn't been able to get it done. This week, they have the lead late. And what do they do? They're not able, they're not only able to run the clock out, essentially, they're able to get a big touchdown. Instead of settling for a field goal at the end of the game, they drive down the field, they rely on Josh Jacobs. This was a big statement win for the Raiders. A thousand percent. And let's just before we talk about running the clock out, literally. Uh, Raiders win. What is our final score? 32-23. And to your point, Fitz, today was the day, and I know I sound like an old man, and you and I text about it. All the guys in the studio give me a hard time. I sound like an old man every week where I say, run the ball. Just do it. I know it's not sexy. I know it's not glamorous. I know that everyone wants to see Devante and everyone 5Y going crazy. Run the ball. The Raiders today finish 212 rushing yards, 38 attempts on the ground, 212 rushing yards. For those of you like me who are not great at math, that's north of five and a half yards a carry. That is effective football, Jason Fitz, and that is how they ended the day today. I feel like for the first time this year, I got a real sense of what the identity of this offense could be. And I feel we got to remember that both sides benefit each other, right? So in my mind, step number one, when you're running the ball effectively, and those opportunities are going to be there because you can't, when you have Devontae and Darren and hopefully Hunter Renfro back soon, you can't necessarily just sit there and say, fine, we're going to let everybody go one-on-one and stack the box. So Josh Jacobs gets less in front of him, right? All he has to do is break through that first line and he can fall forward. We saw a lot of that today. The more that he's capable of doing that, the more at some point they're then going to have to sort of respond in defensive strategy to how to slow down the run, which gives you better opportunities and looks for Devontae and for Waller. Like this, this is sort of which came first, the chicken or the egg. And I think we finally got the answer to that. This offense looked comfortable today. They looked comfortable under center. We didn't see as much shotgun. We saw more under center. We saw, you know, the 1100th uh, offensive line combination, but they let the guys get rhythm just by doing what they do in a very matter-of-fact business-like way. And you and I have talked about this a lot in the first month of the season, and we talked about it last year as well. What is the identity of this team offensively, right? And I think that you can make an argument through the first three weeks that you saw three different versions of what this Raiders offense could be. And I think it's such a fine line because we've heard from Josh McDaniels, we've heard from Dave Ziegler, we've heard from people that know a lot more football than you and I do, that the beauty of Josh McDaniels' offensive scheme is it can be multiple. It can change not only from week to week, from game to game, from series to series. And that's great. But at some point, you kind of got to figure out 
who are we and what do we do well? And it looks like through the first month of the season, Fitz, the Raiders, when they get the opportunity, can pound the rock and they can do it effectively. Now, let us not forget that Josh Jacobs, when he has had the chance outside of today, take today aside, when he has gotten the chance, he has run the ball really, really well. And today, Josh said, McDaniels, to Josh Jacobs, go to work, big fella, go and eat. And that's exactly what he did. We've seen throughout the course of this year, other than the Arizona game where Josh got 19 carries, everything's been around 10 carries for the first couple of games. That's not enough, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, when you start talking about sort of what this team tries to accomplish, I think you make a great point that an offense can be multiple. I think these are the moments that we have to step back just a little bit and remind ourselves of what the process of learning an offense is like. I, I talked to three different quarterbacks that I think are pretty knowledgeable that played in the NFL this week. And all three of them told me Josh McDaniel's offense takes a lot to learn. And there's a lot on the quarterback. And we just presume that because we're used to seeing coaches come in and out with this organization, we've had coordinator changes with the organization. You presume that everybody can just get the playbook and learn it. I, I think you got to run or you got to walk before you run a little bit in this situation. And what we saw today was the Raiders walking and walking really effectively. And you can get to the spot where you can be multiple, I think, a little better when you have a better understanding of the core pillars that your offense is built on. Today was the first time I really feel like we got one of those pillars in a big way. And and I think what was great for me to see is over the first three weeks, right, and we talked about how effective that Josh Jacobs has been running the ball, but there were times, and look, I understand completely that the game situation dictates that, hey, if you're down by 14, you're down by 70 in the second half, you can't really commit to running the ball. But there were times in the first few few games of the season where it felt like, okay, Josh is finally in his zone, he's getting it going, and the offense got away from that. Now, today, Josh started incredibly hot, right? And then there were a few moments, a few series where you feel like the offense is getting away from that. But, and I think the key, the key difference today compared to the first couple weeks is Josh McDaniels went back to the run. So he said, okay, look, I'm going to try this. Maybe this isn't working for us today. Let's go back to we know it's effective against a really good Broncos defense and feed 28. So I think that ability to be multiple, right, that ability to assess a situation live and in the middle of a game to say, okay, let's just go back to what we know is working. I think that is a big moment if you're a fan of this team. That's something that you say, okay, I can build off this. I can feel good about this going into week five. A thousand percent. And you start thinking about what all of this means for the the future, right? One thing that I think we can say, ding, 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 we figured out on the trivia exam are three of the five offensive linemen. Now, there have been a lot of different combinations, but we saw today. Eight eight today uh, was number eight. Right. So Andre James comes in, uh, back in as the center coming out of concussion protocol. I think that tells us that that's who they want at the center because Parham had played last week in that position. They put Parham at the right guard, right? And then uh, all the way at left tackle, we know we have Colton Miller. So three of the five seem to be very set at this point with at least what the coaches want. That's a significant thing to me because I keep thinking about what we saw from this offensive line running the ball. Now, right tackle, it was definitely a revolving door. They're, yep. they're, they're trying a lot of different things. But when you can get a little rhythm running the, running the football, everybody's sort of moving together in one unit running the football, it makes it so much easier for guys to get comfortable. That's what we saw in the second half particular where guys were getting just comfortable mauling a Denver defense that is very good. I mean, this is the first 100-yard rusher they've given up throughout the course of the season, and it comes to Josh Jacobs on a, on a game where uh, Josh was able to fall forward and find yardage all the time. I think getting some of these answers on the offensive line becomes a real help. Yeah, and I think that, you know, 
you know as well as I do that if you're a fan of this team, the big, the, the pervasive narrative that everyone was talking about coming in this offseason, okay, what's the offensive line going to look like? How are the, you know, how are Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler, how are they going to piece this together? And, and we have seen, and we talked about it, we have seen now eight different combinations in the first four weeks, which I'm sure. That's wild. Yeah, which I'm sure in a perfect world is not how they probably drew it up. But the fact remains, even in the games, the, the first three games of the years that the Raiders didn't win, I would say the reason they didn't win those games was not because of the offensive line. So certainly is it a little jarring as a casual fan to say, oh my gosh, you know, now we got bars here and Illuminor's up and now John Simpson's down and you're seeing all these these names changing. But even through all those, you know, like all these matriculations, all these variations, that's not the reason the team was struggling. But to your point now, if you can get these five, and, and so we talked about the three, and then you had Alex Bars at left guard, and then Jermaine Illuminar gets to start at right tackle. Thayer Munford kind of rotates in, like you mentioned. But if you can feel good about these five guys, and you now have still a long way to go in 2022, now you're like, okay, let's build on this, and let's really kind of cinch down our identity in 2022. Another side of identity that I think we found, and this is a little bit of me just like looking back at the whole season, I was on the other side of the football. All right. So I know we're only four games in, one and three, right? But there's one trend defensively. I'm going to ask everybody to forgive the meltdown against the Cardinals for a second. So just take that, throw it away for a second for this conversation. Week one, we saw the Raiders dug into a huge hole. And then the second half, the defense played much better, right? Week three against the Titans, we saw the Raiders in a big hole in the second half, played much better, especially against Derrick Henry, right? Tonight, uh, today, they weren't really dug into a hole. But in the second half, the little adjustments make a big difference. Because remember, this was a 1916 game at the half. So they hold the Broncos to seven points in the second half, one touchdown in the second half, a touchdown that came later in the game. So in my mind, we also can say part of the identity of this defense looks to be that it takes them a second to get their footing sometimes in the first half. In the second half, whatever adjustments they're making are working. And you know what helps immensely, and you're 100% right, is the return of Denzel Perryman. Hmm. I mean, this was night and day compared to what we've seen the past couple weeks in terms of the defense. And I think you brought up a great point where – Denzel Perryman goes out with the concussion, uh, the start in middle of the third quarter, right? When he officially ruled him out, but the what he brought to that defense, in addition to flying around and, and being active and hyping the crowd up, like you brought up a great point where it felt like Divine Diablo was able to play more free and was able to play more confident, knowing that fifty-two was right in the middle handling business. Yeah, a couple of things about Perryman that always stand out to me when you watch him: one, he never wastes steps, so his instincts are always good. He had two tackles for loss right out of the gate. Because he knows, he, he dissects the play quickly and makes the move to the football quickly. It's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. But number two, I go back to talking to Bart Scott at ESPN uh, last year, I think it was. And Bart was talking about when he was a, a young linebacker in the league, how overwhelming it was at times to try and figure out the defenses, where to go. There's so much more being asked of a linebacker in the NFL. And Bart often credits Ray Lewis, uh, the Hall of Famer, uh, as the person that really made Bart's career because early on, particularly, Ray would give him like a slap on the butt or like he'd hit his leg. He was cheating him to where he needed to go and helping him find indicators. I felt like we saw that in the first half, particularly of this game, because Divine Diablo was flying. Now, I was at the game last week in Nashville. I flew down there. It didn't go the way I wanted it to. This defense looked much faster in its reaction in the first half 
I attribute that straight to Perryman, just being able like, it feels like everybody's more comfortable swarming when they know that they've got the brain of Perryman in the middle of it. Well, they're comfortable, you yeah. know? It's like having your big brother out there when you got to go see the big bully and, and you don't want to make that walk alone. <laughs> but when you got your brother with you, you're like, all right, like, let's, let's do this a little bit. That does change the swagger. Like, yeah. That's just, I mean, the swagger changed when you got your, but wait, wait, wait. Do you, like, what was your big brother? Do you have a big brother? I don't. I'm the oldest of three, so I'm okay. the big brother. So did you have to go, like, because here's yeah, the thing. I'm not, a, I, whew. I could drag my brother out to a fight but if I drag my brother out to a fight who is older than I am and much tougher than I am the one thing is that afterwards he would definitely beat the snot out of me for dragging him out to the fight he's see, like I, I, see I, I have yeah. the younger brother who is tougher than me you know so <laughs> now I do have I do have the height I got the reach on him like I'm definitely the taller of the two okay. of us uh but you know very similar builds he's just a few inches a little smaller than I am okay. but so you're the Perryman in this situation I would be honored to be the Perryman in this situation like I think that's probably a disservice to to Denzel but for the sake of this conversation I will say that I am the Denzel. I, I think what you saw from that wild uh, tangent aside, what you saw from Perryman really helped make everybody comfortable. And I, I'm really genuinely impressed with the secondary and their ability. Like when I Cosine. when I saw the the inactives and you see that Rocky Sin wasn't going to be playing, there's just a sinking feeling. Because y'all, like, I understand that the Broncos don't necessarily have a juggernaut of a team to, to many people. They have talent on the outside. Sutton, Jerry, Judy are very talented wide receivers. And I'm suddenly thinking, man, no rock is going to make a difference. And Amik just oh. lights out, lights out in this game. Could we give Amik 30 seconds of love for Amik Robertson? I mean, because this is a guy that if we kind of rewind all the way back to training camp, there was the conversation of where does Amik fit on this team, right? Because you, you have Nate Hobbs, who's kind of your de facto, not for today, Nate was on the outside, but Nate is your de facto kind of nickelback, the guy on the inside. Where does Amik live in this world? Well, Amik is living and feasting today because, I mean, he has that fumble recovery, the return for touchdown, the first in God it knows how many. We, had, we saw the stat. The first, the first defensive or special teams touchdown by the Raiders in 43 games, the first fumble recovery for a touchdown in 116 games. Since 2014. And, yes. and you and I have watched enough Raiders football to know that in recent years, that play, that moment has been so hard to come by for this team. Broncos are marching down the field. They were, feel, they were kind of starting to get a groove offensively. They were running the ball. They were doing it at a, at a nice clip. And then all of a sudden, shout out to Ron Harmon for making the play and forcing mm -hmm. that fumble. Yeah. But Amik Robertson's Johnny on the spot. Boom, makes a few guys miss, and now he's in the end zone. And that is such a momentum-swinging play. Now, I know that Daniel Carlson, my guy, ended up missing the PAT. But that is such a big, I think, for a defense that there's so much been talked about in the past couple weeks, to have a moment like that, to put some points on the board, to help out DC and company, that is a big thing, not only for today, but I think going forward to have that moment for them. My favorite part of Amik's game was that after he got burned on the long play, I think it was a 32-yard yep. reception, he and fell our, down and, a little and bit. Jerry Judy makes a little yeah. uh, snide remark yeah. at him. A little, little trash talking going yep. back yep. and forth. After he got burned, there was no hesitation. And in fact, if anything, it just felt like it ticked him off like he was playing with such a level of controlled rage after that which I think is important for a corner to really have that that fire and that confidence and for young guys that have been trying to find their spot sometimes I think we forget the human being element of this mm -hmm. and when you are to your point we're all sitting here saying where's a meek fit in well, Meek's saying, where do I fit in yeah. too, right? And so when you get burned on that long touchdown, it's really easy to turn around and say, oh, man, here we go. He didn't do that. And he had so 
many significant plays, not just the fumble recovery for a touchdown. There was a a little outside uh, pass that he blew up the blocker on that that prevented things from happening. So, like, he was just – he was everywhere the football was. He was there, and he was making ferocious plays on the ball. When you're playing with that level of aggressiveness – that is, like you mentioned, comfortable early. Uh, earlier. I think when you're a defensive player and you're playing with that level of sort of uh, passion, it shows that you're comfortable in what you're doing. And I think you had hit, you had Nate Hobbs to that mix. And I mean, Nate Hobbs, another really, really, really nice game. And this is a dude, Fitz, and you, and you know better than I do since you're tapped in nationally. This is a guy whose stock just he's going up and up and up. And week after week after week, he's making big plays. And at some point, it's like, all right, let's just throw everything at Nate and see when he can stop handling it because this dude's just playing out of his mind right now. There is not a spot on the football field you can't put Hobbs in and he can't get it done. And I would I would make the argument, too, that in the early going fits, he is one of the most effective blitzers on this Raiders defense. 100%. 100%. Uh, not only is he effective because of his speed, which is sneaky, but he does a really nice job of hiding when he's going to come. So, like, it is so interesting to me that he gets right up to the line of scrimmage and sometimes he backs off, and then other times he pushes for it. When he pushes for it, he gets there. The the, the blitz he got today that it resulted in a sack, nobody was able to pull up outside fast enough for him, and he just found an easy track directly to Russell Wilson. It, it was a beautiful blitz. It was perfectly timed. It was well disguised. It was everything you have to do. Like, we all sit here as fans and believe it. Like, I, I do the same thing everybody does when we're watching. You're yelling like, blitz! But the thing of it is, if the quarterback can see the blitz coming and you can see the blitz coming, the blitz is not going to be yeah. effective. He does a beautiful job of hiding it. And I think, you know, not to completely go off, off topic, but I think over the first month, I think Patrick Graham has done a really nice job of being very selective and effective when he chooses to send guys. I think that to me, and, and look, we've talked about it a lot, and, and you know, Jesse Merrick and I have talked about it, you and I have talked about it, this first year is going to be a year of discovery for all of us, learning what Dave likes, what Josh likes, what Patrick Graham likes. And I think that one of the things we were really curious about is, okay, what is how what is his aggression level like on a game day in terms, in terms of sending guys? And it hasn't been every play. It hasn't been anything wild. But I think when Patrick Graham has decided to do it, and today's a perfect example, he's really effective at picking his spots. Especially important given the fact that you've got to believe coming into the season that he believed you would not have to blitz at all, mm-hmm. right? Like, The concept of how to win in the modern NFL is I'm going to send my front four. They're going to get after it. I won't have to blitz. That's what every team, like, if it were that simple, then every team would have 34 different pass rushers and they wouldn't worry about anything. Uh, So, you know, obviously, given the fact that Max seems to be the only defensive lineman that's just consistently badgering a quarterback, Chandler Jones, give him some credit, in the fourth quarter was disrupted. Coming alive, for sure. There were were some big plays that, you know, a holding penalty. Two holdings, in fact. Right, so a couple of of moments here where Chandler Jones was, was making plays, and that's fun to see. But considering the fact that they weren't getting great pressure just with the front four, that Patrick Graham has been able to be this sort of patient with his defense, and when he sends a blitz, I think it's significant. 30-second timeout here is a great stat that just crossed the wire. Uh, Max Crosby currently leads the NFL with eight tackles for loss this season. He had four more today. That's the most in a game for any, excuse me, any Raiders player since 2018. And they are doing everything they can. They're throwing like, it all and, at and, and I don't mean they as in the Raiders. The Raiders' opponents. Like There were a couple of replays. There was one holding penalty on Max where he was chipped at the line and two guys were, were uh, trying to stop him and somebody just horse collar grabbed him. Like there, the, the Broncos did everything they could to slow down Max Crosby and you can't do it. And when you watch this guy play, 
the level of fun he's having oh. out there. Like, it's infectious to everybody on that defense. Like, Max is a leader in the way he carries himself. He's a leader in the product that he puts on the field. He's a leader in what he gives to this defense. But he's really a tone setter in let's play fun, let's play fast, let's play loose, and let's play smart. He does all of those. And, and I mean this in the best possible, possible way. Max plays like a little kid. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah. you could make the argument— that there is no one in Allegiant Stadium who had more fun today than the Raiders stud at stud Ed Rusher. That's amazing. Think about that. And we were talking when we got back here to the HQ and we, and we were watching the second half on the uh, on the TV. And you see Max making all the holding calls. He's standing in front of the ref. And I, and it, I think the most important thing for people to know is like that's not him putting on to get on camera, right? That's not him in in the heat of battle being like, oh, let me do something funny on camera. Like that's just who he is. That's a guy who is having the time of his life. A guy who is reinvesting back into this organization, what this organization invested into him, and he is loving every single second of it. He's playing his ass off. You think about defensively. You know, we 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 talk so much about offense because that's what everybody's focused on. You you talk about building blocks already early in the season. Max is a building block. Uh, Perryman has played every bit as well as you could ever hope, and I believe Divine Diablo is really growing into a nice player. Nate Hobbs? Nate Hobbs. is an, He's a building block. He's a foundational piece. Uh, you see a game like we saw from Amik today. I know it's early, but yep. you see that. And then Trayvon Merrick, who you know is invisible in every good way for what he does. Like When he's not on the field, the, the team is picked on far more in the passing game. When he's on the field, nothing's as easy. Like There are a handful of guys that are really starting to cement themselves as the foundation of what this Raiders defense could be, not just for this year, but the next three or four years. And that's what you're always looking for as an organization. And I think what's most exciting about the guys in the defense fits is you talk about Max. Max not going anywhere. The, the tone setter for not only the defense, but really an organizational type of tone setter, right? Nate Hobbs, a young guy who's under contract, a dude who's also going to be here for a minute. Trayvon Merrig, same draft class, another young dude who's not going anywhere. Perryman, a veteran who they're, they're going to have to do some business decisions in the next 12 months regarding him, but a guy who has set the tone for this defense. I mean, you were talking about a majority of guys who are here, and in the case of Max, Guys who want to be here and have been very vocal about not wanting to be anywhere else. And that, I think, is important. Yeah, th- there's such a uh, an encouraging piece from what we've seen defensively. Now, I'm not going to shy away from the fact that the Raiders have not put two halves together until today. Today's the first time they put two halves together. And there were moments, like, I think there's moments in any game. One thing that really struck me is as we were watching the early games today, somebody tweeted out that eight of the early games were one-score games in the fourth quarter. That's the modern NFL. Mm-hmm. I think for everybody watching, the concept of I'm just going to blow the doors off of this team is very rarely going to happen in the modern NFL. This year, it's all about can you win these types of games? Three weeks in, they've lost these types of games every week. I think it is significant. I don't buy the learning to win. These are all professional athletes. I think they already know how to win. But I do buy that there's just a moment where you can take a collective sigh of relief. Like It is real to get tight when it's like, oh, here we go again. The fact that this team found a breakthrough on the here we go again as they continue this process of the season, I think this is a real building block opportunity. And we had we had our mutual friend Will Compton on fifth quarter duties last week, and and he was saying, and and God bless him for coming on on a, on a tough day, right, for playoff Willie. But he said, look, he goes, if you're a fan, he goes, I understand the frustration. He goes, look, the team's 0-3, like, I get it. There are huge expectations attached to this group. I completely understand. The players in that locker room know that too. He goes, but at some point, you just got to get the first one. 
don't worry about what's going to happen in November and December and January. He goes, you got to get one. And the Raiders needed to get one today. And at times it wasn't pretty, but they got one. And I think that, to your point, a building block. Now you got a tough game coming up on Monday night, going to Arrowhead to take on Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs. But they got one, and that is significant. I think the other part of it, when we go back to the offensive side of the ball, I've made this uh, a lot. Let me be so clear here. Football coaches are smarter than 99% of us will ever be. Including everyone here in our little room. Correct. Uh, the, the amount of knowledge we think we have when we cover this sport doesn't even come close to what a coach that hasn't made it has. And I am not going to compare an actual video game to an actual coach. Let me be clear about that. But I think everybody that's ever played Madden knows sometimes what it feels like when you're running the ball and you're just kind of bored and you're running the ball and you're kind of bored. And then you look around and you're like, well, I got Devontae. I'm just going to throw deep. Sometimes I think human nature for all of us and then even for the people involved on the team, human nature is I have all of these toys and I want to figure out how to use them all at once. I don't know that you can do that. And maybe the most impressive thing to me today is that for the most part, there was an actual blueprint that the Raiders were absolutely following, and they stayed patient with that blueprint. It's easy. When the game got close in the second half, and all of a sudden we're looking at it, and it's like, man, it's a two-point game. It's real easy to say we're going to spread them five wide, and we're going to rely. Devontae's the highest-paid wide receiver. That's why you're brought Yeah. I mean, how many people are screaming that, right? But what did the yeah? Well, what did the Raiders do? They're yeah. like, you know what's working? Running the football, and we're going to run the football, and then we're going to put ourselves on the right side of the down and distance equation, and then we're going to work to Devonte. And it was a formula that was really smart. It was well thought out, and it takes a ton of self control by Carr, by McDaniel's, by everybody involved to to look at it and say, hey, this is the path that's working right now. We don't need to veer off that path. And I think that, like, I think naturally, if you're a fan and you're looking at the stats from the end of the day, they're like, oh, my God, the Raiders run for 212 on the on the ground and Derek going through for 188. Like, I understand, like, kind of the, huh, interesting. Like, they won, but interesting. Devontae Adams still ate. Devontae Adams goes 9 for 101. It's not like Devontae was a, a second thought, an afterthought in this offense. Like, this dude had 13 targets. The next closest wide receiver was Matt Collins, who had five. So there was a clear, to your point, there was a clear formula for run the ball, control the line of scrimmage, and give 17 his chances to go make plays. And that's exactly what he did. The other crazy part about that is that uh, Sertain covered him everywhere. Like shattered He's a good football player, too. One of the better corners, I think, in Mm -hmm. in the division, if not the league, shadowed Devontae everywhere, right? And when you've got that shadow coming, and they were boxing too, like uh, for anyone that was watching the game, if you go back and rewatch the film, I think what you'll see a bunch of times is the corner is right on Devontae, and then they would have a linebacker sort of sneak to take a middle section of the field. So what Devontae was doing was doing these quick outs just all over the place, and Carr was finding them. Like that's communication before the snap where they're looking at it, they're seeing back shoulder quick outs were both working, at a clip. And so when you're talking about the takeaways from this game that travel all the way through the rest of the season, one of the better corners in the league decided he wanted one-on-one Devontae. Devontae eight, right? Two of the better wide receivers for De- for Denver were in this game. The Raiders' defense, eight. Like, I, I think that there's there's a big talent takeaway in the way that that whole process works. And I think what's interesting, too, let's not forget, this is now the second week in a row where we haven't had Hunter Renfro, mm. right? And adding Hunter Renfro to that mix adds another wrinkle to what the Raiders can do offensively. And obviously we hope we see Hunter back sooner than later and he's healthy and everything off the field is taken care of priority number one. But when Hunter does get back to work now, okay, 
now things get really fun. Yeah, I, I think about Matt Collins, who's had a bit of a coming out party for the last three weeks, right? And then you look at what what happens when they bring in Hunter is going to give them the opportunity to create even more mismatches for Mac as well. Like mm-hmm. the the amount of mismatches and opportunities in this offense it hasn't gone anywhere. To your point, and I think it's important to echo, especially with what we all saw on Thursday Night Football, the most important thing is that Hunter Renfro get as healthy as possible. Any of these guys that are in concussion protocol, we all need to, as human beings, just step back and say, okay, you take all the time you need and pass all the tests you have to pass. Let's make sure that you are 100% of yourself. When he comes back, it is such an incredible extra layer to this offense it's certainly going to make a difference. And if he's capable of coming back in time for Kansas City, I, I, I'm i sorry. Like, I still don't believe that Kansas City's offense, player for player, pound for pound, uh, yes, they have a better quarterback. I don't think that's a hot take. Patrick Mahomes is probably the best quarterback in the NFL. Uh, player for player, pound for pound, I don't think their offense is any better than the Raiders' offense. So the question is, which defense can hold up against which? And if this is truly the formula, if running Josh Jacobs this way is the formula, my God, that's amazing because it keeps Mahomes off the field and you were just going to sit there and say, hey, we'll chew up the entire play clock if we have to. And I know that it feels like many, many moons ago, many eons ago when the Raiders did last take on the Chiefs, but that's the recipe, right? I mean, at some point, you got to limit Patrick Mahomes at bats. And the best way to do that is run number 28. Also, I just noticed this. 28 carries for number 28. That's fun. Look at that. How about that? How about a little numerology there for but, all of us? Can we also acknowledge... Like, this is not easy for all of, like, so many uh, people, you work with the team. I've been a fan of the team since I was knee-high to a grasshopper, to use a Southern expression. Uh, like, I, I've, I've been a Raiders fan my whole life. The history of the Raiders with the Chiefs over the last several years is not lost on me. The history of the Raiders to the Chiefs doesn't matter at all to this coaching staff. Nor should it. Like, exactly. There's this moment of, yes, a division matchup rival rivalry matters. Yes, the importance of this game matters. But whatever's happened between the Raiders and the Chiefs any year other than this one doesn't mean anything to Josh McDaniels. It doesn't mean anything to this coaching staff because they're coming in it completely fresh. So one of the, the things I think we have to remember as the Raiders are trying to get their footing for who they're going to be is that that also, as they get that footing, is going to present challenges for future opponents that are used to saying, okay, I know what it, what to expect from the Raiders because this is the coach, this is the offensive play caller, this is what they do. This is all new. So whatever the past was last year doesn't matter. I, I'm excited to see what this coaching staff can come up with these players for this matchup because you are going to be measured day in and day out, year in and year out, how do you play against Kansas City? That is what will measure every single team in the AFC West is measured by. 100%, and, and I think that you bring up a great point where whatever happened last year, 2020, whatever, it doesn't matter. And, and I think that today was illuminating for me in a variety of ways. We talked about Josh's ability, and we got to get confused. This is confusing with the Josh. Josh yeah. having career day. Josh McDaniels getting his yeah, first big, win. In, big, in a, big, big win for McDaniels, too. So it's, career, yeah. it's a big a great day to be a Josh. <laughs> How about that? It's a great day to be a Josh, but I think one thing that was really exciting for me today was, yes, old man Eddie checking in, the commitment to running the ball, but the play calling as well. I mean, let's give a a quick round of applause for Zamir White for staying ready. Zamir, a guy that everyone in this fan base was super fired up throughout the preseason, and we haven't seen a whole lot of him. No, Through no fault of his own, when Josh Jacobs is playing the way that he is, you got to keep him on the field as much as you can. But on Ari Leafis, the biggest play of the game, a third and two 
at the Denver 29 with just under three minutes left. Who gets that ball? Zamir White. Good for 22. He got it on a quick pitch, too, right? Yeah. So it was, a, it was a really interesting, like, very quick pitch out. Like, they were, they were putting him out on an island saying, make a play, man. And he did. You know, I, we have to remember with White, and everybody that's ever listened to a football announcer knows the old, like, hey, it's tough to learn pass protection. Mm-hmm. We hear it all the time, uh, and, yeah, especially as a rookie. And, but that's real. Especially when you're coming out of Georgia, where frankly, like you didn't face the fronts that this team faces. There were a couple of times today that big plays were created by great, not good, great blitz pickup by the running backs. At some point, you got to understand that White's not going to see the field until they know that he can do that as well as Jacobs can or anybody else on this roster. Like, there's a safety blanket. There were a couple of times the Broncos must have seen it on film. They were trying to do this stunt to come around the guards, and they thought they were going to get through. And running backs saved Derek Carr's butt a couple of times. I don't know that the coaching staff knows that White can pick that up. And, and Brandon Bolden, a guy that Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler are incredibly familiar with, that's why he's here, yeah. right? I mean, Brandon Bolden is is a dude who excels at that role, right? And I think to Josh Jacobs' credit as well, Josh is a legit three-down back in the NFL, mm-hmm. right? Like, we look to look, we love to look at the numbers. You and I have talked about them a lot. They're fantastic. Keep feeding the rock. But he's a dude who doesn't need to come off the field. Now there's going to be certain instances, and we saw it this afternoon, where Brandon Bolden gives you something a little bit different than Josh Jacobs does. But all the same, to your point— when the coaching staff knows that Demir White can do that at the level that Brandon and JJ can, okay, now we're now we're starting to talk. And it's no, I think we got to be really clear. This is not a shot by any stretch at Demir White. I we're just living in reality. Crush. I know we were talking. I, I about have this, a yeah. man crush on the way he ran the football at Georgia. I cover a lot of for anyone that doesn't know a lot of uh, college football. You're getting your shameless plugs in early, yeah, Fitz. Yeah, I, I usually wait till the end. You know, I like to do that yeah, throughout yeah. the show. Uh, but my man crush on on White is real. Uh, but you mentioned Bolden, and, and the funny thing is there were a couple of times that we saw the ball go to Bolden out of the backfield. A lot of people yell about that. I think if you go back and watch it, and I haven't had the chance yet to watch it, but I think if you do go back and watch it, what you'll find is that he was in the game on that play for pass pro. Mm-hmm. And when nobody came, there was a responsibility for him for the running backs. Gotta when nobody out. comes, you get out. Yep. And when you get out, now you're suddenly the, the safety. So if you got nothing else out there, you're just dumping it off to the running back, live to see another play. And it speaks to their belief in, in Bolden's ability to pick those up. That is a huge part, especially when your offensive line is a turnstile and you don't know who's playing what week and everybody's learning each other. Man, you can't have a rookie running back that's back there trying to figure it out. So for Josh to step up and take care of that while he was also running the ball, while he was catching the ball out of the backfield, I mean – he, he was the star, by far the most important player for the Raiders today was Josh Jacobs, and he lived up to that. And it'll be interesting, too, tomorrow to see when the playtime percentages come out just how much Josh was on the field. I mean, it felt like he was out there 90% of the time. I mean, he was out there a lot. Like, he's going to sleep really well tonight, I'll tell you that. <laughs> he's going to have a fantastic rest. He's going to be in that ice bath. Like, oh, he's man. probably in the ice bath now as we speak, like just living in it. On, on a serious note, though, Josh probably going to benefit immensely now from this extra, je- extra day before Monday. Night football, right? I mean, Raiders now have a chance to have that extra day. Uh, then they're going to head to Kansas City on, I think, probably Saturday next week. But they get that extra day before Monday Night Football. And coming after, coming out of a game like this, a game that was so physical, a game where you won at the line of scrimmage, I can't imagine there's going to be a lot of dudes who wake up tomorrow that aren't feeling a little tight, a little sore. So an extra 24 hours when you're traveling to, never a bad thing. Yeah, well, and especially. 
you know, the, the thing that scares me about the Kansas City matchup, we have all week to break it down, yeah. but uh, you look through the first few weeks, and I made the joke repeatedly that I felt like Herbert and uh, definitely Murray, as we all uh, know, they all sort of looked like they took a bath in Crisco because the amount of times that Max just sort of fell off them Literally. Was, was insane, right? Uh, Mahomes is slippery. We all know that. So it's going to take a lot of discipline from the defensive line to actually bring him down. Uh, mobile quarterbacks scare me to death. Uh, that's the only thing that scares me in this matchup. I, like I said before, I, I, I'm interested to see what this coaching staff thinks is the right game plan because one in three is not where anybody thought the Raiders would be. But coming into this week, not as we see, sit now, but coming into this week, I, I ran the numbers through ESPN. And if you look at your, your four division leaders, so we take those out of the equation, there are three wildcard teams, right? Uh, if you take those seven teams out of the AFC coming into this week, there isn't a single other team coming into the week that even had a winning record. So my point in saying that is we all thought the AFC was going to be so stinking dominant that you were going to have to win 11, 12 games to make the playoffs. It's never going to happen. Instead, what we found out is that almost everybody in the AFC is struggling early on to find rhythm. So the good news is for the Raiders, while you're in a hole, you are not in a six-foot hole. There's tons of football left. Now the question is, is this is what we saw today the identity moving forward? And if it is, by the way, I'm excited out of my mind for it. It's just we are going to get a real answer for that when we go into Kansas City. If they if they go into Kansas City with this same game plan, I think you can beat the Chiefs. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if you're if you're at running, you know, average of just under six yards a carry, you're going to beat a lot of football yeah, teams. I don't care, I don't care who it is. Uh, <laughs> but Fitz, on our way out, we do have Kansas City next week, and I think we like to schedule. You are back. You're going to hang yeah. out with us on post-game yeah. duties. Can't wait. Yeah. Uh, shameless plug alert. I know you got one in a little bit earlier, so give me 30 more seconds. Where can the people find you? Um, well, uh, if you watch any of the ESPN digital content on the app, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, any of those places. I'm on the Monday Night Football ESPN show, a Friday kickoff show every Friday with Gary Streisky, uh, college football on Saturdays, and then on Spain and Fitz, Monday through Friday on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app series, XM Channel 80 from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. I feel like you've done that a time or two before. I have done once once or basically any digital show. Oh, Snapchat twice a week to SportsCenter on Snapchat. So if you're into SportsCenter on Snapchat, I, I'm a 45-year-old grown-ass man. I should never be on Snapchat, but I am twice a week hosting SportsCenter. And I'm sure the youths love it. It's yeah, all about the youths. About 1.5 billion kids between the ages of 13 and 24 every day. I don't know. That's... Oh. Just listening to my bad jo- dad oh, jokes. That's all right. That's what happened. Endearing. Humble endearing. Man. Well, we are excited that we'll see you there, but we also see you back here virtually uh, next week for the fifth quarter. Wait, 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 wait. We're undefeated when I'm there in person. No. But it's no, a road game. Vegas, a road yeah, game. I went to, I yeah, went to the yeah. Nashville game, so never mind. I should yeah, not and, go to Arrowhead. No. Stay okay. here. Well, actually, okay. yeah, I mean, we can have you stay here, but okay. I think for the sake of everyone's <laughs> travel, let's have you, let's have you go home. You can relax. You can enjoy a little Fitz time. You can show off all the merch behind you like you always do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's good. It's Annabelle a good setup. appreciate yes. that. Okay, it's a good. It's a good win for everyone. So, and it was a good win for the Raiders tonight, or I guess technically this afternoon. Whatever. It was a great day to be a Josh. It was a great day to be an Eddie. And it was a great day to be a Fitz. So, Freddie Pascal, Jason Fitz, my man Al in the ones and twos, Alexandra back in the control room, and everyone else at Silver and Black Productions. We thank you, thank you, thank you. Your Las Vegas Raiders are on the win board, on the Woo! win column, whatever. We have one in the good column. And we will see you guys next week for our next episode of the fifth quarter presented by Twitch. Thank you for listening to the fifth quarter presented by Twitch. Make sure to download the Raiders mobile app and we'll see you next week.
The Las Vegas Raiders have partnered with the global lifestyle app TrueConnect to give the gift of wellness. Transform your mind, body, and soul through thousands of hours of premium fitness content, guided meditations, progress tracking, and more. Visit tcfree.fit to redeem one free year of TrueConnect exclusively for Raider Nation.